welcome to Legally Speaking, a podcast series that aims to make the law and legal issues that affect your everyday life more accessible and maybe a little less scary. As this series is brought to you by Ison Harrison Solicitors, the Yorkshire law firm, each episode I'll be joined by Richard Coulthard, partner and head of corporate law for Ison Harrison. Sounds like this week is all about the unavoidables, death, debt, disputes, all those kind of things that uh, we all hope we can avoid as long as possible, I suppose. Taking it right back to basics, what would you say are the basic documents every business should have? So as a starting point, um, every business should have properly drafted terms of business. Um, This will deal with things like how you're going to get paid, uh, limiting your liability and other important aspects that um, need to be covered to protect the business. Business owners should have an agreement between them, uh, such as a shareholders agreement or a partnership agreement. What we see quite often is, is business owners go into a business with the best of intentions and then things change over a period of time. Uh, and if it's not properly documented, it can leave business owners exposed to disputes later on. Other aspects to consider will obviously depend on the area of a business, but every business should have a uh, GDPR privacy notice um, that covers uh, data protection. And things like employment contracts, um, other policy documents. Well-run businesses have lots of things in writing, um, ultimately, which makes it very clear to all the parties involved um, as to what they should or shouldn't be doing. As a checklist, terms of business, an agreement between owners, an agreement in place that covers what happens if someone was to die or become ill, uh, employment contracts and uh, GDPR privacy notices. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, some of the detail with a shareholders agreement? Obviously, you know, third parties outside of the business itself. So um, what many business owners don't understand is that there is no what we call common law duties or very limited common law duties between owners of a business. Um, If you set up a company, there are statutory duties under the Companies Act, but they are duties that directors owe to the company. They're not duties to each other. And what that means is if you don't have a properly drafted agreement, you can have situations where you can't actually control the actions of your business partners. Um, so let's give an example. Um, someone, a direct in business, um, could see that there's excess cash in the business and just go and decide that they're going to use that to go and buy themselves a Porsche. And there's nothing that you can do to stop that, actually. Um, so you need to have contracts in place to um, protect against that, to deal with issues such as if what happens if one business owner wants to leave the business, you know, restrictive covenants, selling their shares, what happens if someone becomes ill, uh, you know, what happens if someone wants to, to sell up? Or, you know, there's, uh, what hap- what decisions can be made by business owners without the other business owners consenting to it? So that might be things like taking out finance, buying assets, uh, capital expenditure, employing staff. There's all sorts of things that can be covered. But unless you have that documented in a contract, there's actually very little protection from business owners from the conduct of their business partners. Uh, would that also need to include details of of payment of dividends both to partners but also any other shareholders that are involved in the business. Yeah, absolutely. So again, this is another area that business owners get themselves into knots. Um, The starting point is that shareholders who have the same class of shares have to be paid dividends in proportion to each other. What we see not infrequently, however, is you might have one shareholder who is primarily working in the business and another one who, who who's not. Um, and the shareholder who's working in the business, trying to be tax efficient, will want to take a proportion of their salary as dividends. 
Um, so they might pay themselves, a, you know, a, a basic salary of 10, 11, 12,000 pounds a year and then top that up with, with dividends. The difficulty that creates is actually they're then declaring an illegal dividend because the amount that they're declaring themselves will significantly be significantly higher than what their business partner has been paid. It's perfectly permissible, but you need to have the company set up in the right way to facilitate that. Um, so that you know, is having different classes of shares, but also having protection in place as to what consents need to be given as to before a dividend can be declared. So you mentioned some of the potential problems because you've no recourse to it if the, those agreements aren't in place. But what happens if bif- business owners don't have a formal agreement between them? What kind of things... Can they be liable for or or likely to suffer with? So we, we've seen situations um, which typically happen where there has been some sort of falling out or some sort of disagreement. And um, the parties then have difficulty bringing any formal legal action against the other party to prevent that. To, to give you one example, um, I, you know, uh, it was a husband and wife business Um they didn't have anything formal in place, which isn't particularly unusual. Um, the The gentleman in this situation was essentially the sort of the technical person in the background. Um, it was some sort of manufacturing business, from recollection. Um, and the wife was essentially the face of the business. She had all of the customer contacts, all of the customer relations, and they split up. Uh, and his first question was, "Well, what do I do about the business? And you know, what's to stop?" my now ex-wife taking that business to one of my competitors the problem was is actually from a legal standpoint it was very diff- very difficult because he didn't have anything formal in writing preventing her taking that work elsewhere there were some statutory duties you could rely on but he was in a fundamentally very difficult position that's possibly an extreme example but the the long and short of it is if you don't have proper contractual provisions in place, you can have real difficulties then protecting yourself in the event of some sort of fallout. What kind of advice did you provide for that client in order to try and help him out of a very sticky situation or, or was that pretty much end game with it? Well, ultimately it was about cutting a deal um, and, and buying out um, that person's shares, the wife's shares in the business um, and then including protective measures within the agreement from which the, the purchase was facilitated. The difficulty reality in reality was if they hadn't agreed to that sale, they could have caused a lot of damage for that business. Nobody ever thinks this will happen. All of us hope it won't happen. But even I'm aware of of someone that this has happened to. What if a business owner dies or a business partner dies? So sticky situations arise around this. So the starting point is in the absence of uh, a properly drafted uh, what we call a cross-option agreement, the, the shares in a business will pass to the deceased estate. So that might be a, a spouse, it might be a child, in uh, in you know in difficult circumstances, it could actually be someone that they're still married to but have separated from, and that person or that, that you know, the estate will then have the same rights to the business as the deceased did. So that might be the right to dividends, to vote on the business. Um, those shares are then essentially held to ransom. If you can imagine a situation whereby you know a, a majority shareholder, someone who's got eighty ninety percent of his shares in the business 
passes away and those shares get passed down to a child or a spouse or what have you, that person will have a controlling interest in a business in which they may not have had any real involvement, any real knowledge. And there's then the practical issues of how does the other business owner get that those shares back? Are they going to be held to ransom? Are they going to be sold to a competitor? How do you fund the purchase of those shares? There's, there's all these complexities um, that in extreme situations um, can cause failure of business. Uh, in actual fact, it, it's very easy in most cases to protect against this by putting in place, um, as they will be called, a cross-option agreement, which in simple terms provides that in the event of a death of one party, the other party gets the option to buy the shares. And it's normally supported by an insurance policy, which then essentially pays out the value of those shares. So no one's having to raise any funding. It is a mechanism which gives parties protection. And it's not expensive to put these sort of provisions in place, but it's it's one of the most overlooked areas that we see in business. How can business owners protect themselves and their businesses from liabilities? One of the, the the ways we recommend businesses giving themselves some protection is to look at creating some sort of group structure. And this has been particularly relevant um, in light of coronavirus and some of the associated issues that are arising from that. Um, if you've got an aspect of a business which carries a higher risk, um, it, it might be a, a new area for you, it, there might be higher liabilities associated with it, uh, and then you've got another aspect of the business which might be more secure and have more stable income. You really want to protect that more stable aspect from the, the, the more risky aspect of the business. And therefore, y- there is benefit in creating, and it's not particularly complex to create a, what we call a group structure. So you'll typically have holding company sits at the, the, the top of this sort of triangle, this pyramid, if you can imagine it. And that's where all of the profits, that's where all of the benefits filter. That company then owns the shares and all of the various subsidiaries. And you can create different subsidiaries for different aspects of the business. You can have same trading names, same trading styles. But from a legal standpoint, it's then the trading businesses that carry the risk. They're the ones that enter into the contracts. They're the ones that potentially face the liabilities if something goes wrong. And ultimately, the intention behind that is if something really does go wrong, it's much easier to liquidate that aspect of that business and protect the safer aspects elsewhere. So it's it's there's a tax issues, there's there's legal issues. It does need some consideration, but it's not as hard as many people think to to set that up. Obviously, we've uh, managed to cover off the major sticky situations, you know, death and divorce. Mm. But in your experience, what is it generally that business owners, if and when they fall out, what do they fall out over? What kind of disputes arise? Um, in, in my experience, I think lots of people go into business because with with, with someone because they've got a common interest or, or they're friends or, or they've got some sort of pre-existing relationship and they've got these great plans that they're going to build this this, you know, this massive business and everything's going to be fine. In my experience, where people fall out is because there's been some sort of change in circumstances. So you we can have situations where um, there's differences of opinion about 
things like succession planning or sale, differences of opinion about direction of the business, a perception that one business owner may not be pulling their weight. Um, so that you know that it's not uncommon we see for for one business owners feel like oh, I'm I'm carrying this business I'm doing everything and this person is not doing anything and um, that can lead to people feeling disgruntled. So uh, or differences about how you might treat staff or entering into contracts and family-run business spouses family relations play a play a part. Um, so I think it, people can fall out of all outside all sorts of issues and um. It is rarely foreseeable when people enter into the business uh, and therefore it's, it's it's one of the main reasons it's so important to get everything set up at the outset because no one can foresee what's going to happen further down the line. I mean, it could be something as unfortunate as a business owner becomes ill uh, and can't function at the same level in the business and that can then cause a, a dispute. So there's all of these factors to, to consider, but it, it tends to be because of some sort of change in circumstance and, and people no longer seeing eye to eye. Um, exceptionally it's because people have deliberately um you know acted in a way that's improper you know taking money out of a business that they shouldn't have done i've certainly seen uh situations where sort of finance directors have you know been skimming money out of the profits that the other directors didn't know anything about less common but you know can happen as well i've seen him driving that new porsche Obviously, you touched on the fact that there are family-run businesses as well. How would your advice differ if it is a family-run business? So, so family-run businesses, um, they have all of the normal complexities that everyone else has, and then a whole host of other ones. Um, you know, the, the the complexities tend to become out of relationship-based issues, um, and it's important to separate the the personal family relationship from the business relationship you are still running a business and it should be treated as such um there are added complications as well around tax and inheritance tax and issues of, of that nature so it, it becomes more complex and again going back to, to an early point to, to give an example of, of one that i've advised on recently three shareholders in a business two of them are married one of them it isn't now the intention had always been if one of them was to pass away the shares would be split equally actually without having any agreements in place that doesn't happen because the shares would have passed through a marital line if one of the, the husband and wife had uh, passed away one of the big factors that we see and statistically is it's a very sad sad, uh, sad fact is that over two-thirds of family-run businesses fail when they pass down from the first generation to the second generation uh, and that's typically because it's it's you know the parents or, or grandparents they've built the business they know everything about it and they pass it down to the children with the best of intentions but the children haven't necessarily had the training or the access or the information that the parents have had because they've wanted to protect them so it's not just a legal consideration there's practical considerations as to whether they need some sort of training or mentor or business advisor to make sure that they're actually ready to take over the business in more complex scenarios you can have to think about family investment companies and protecting where shares go to you know through inheritance to make sure that you know families stay in the right proportions so all family-run businesses really really do need to have proper legal advice and it's the biggest area that we see business owners not taking advice because they have this mentality of it's my family it's my brother it's my cousin it's it's whoever and therefore you know they think that family bond is going to see them through and it actually adds a layer of complexity yeah we'd never fall out they'd never (laughs) say that they'd never do that 
sadly, that's not how life works, is it? Yeah, I mean, it can be everything from a, you know, they got them the wrong, uh, you know, Christmas present to, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... It, and, it, yeah, it's all over. Or certainly in trouble, at least. Yeah. Just to give a little more detail, how, how exactly do terms of business help avoiding disputes within the business? So, so terms of business, um, it depends on, on whether you're dealing with business clients or consumer clients and that there's there's differences um, as to what you can or can't uh, include. Dealing with any business who has commercial clients or business clients, there's actually very little rules about what you can or can't include in, in that. And um, you can uh, you can put a lot of protection in the contract to make sure that you know there's limits on how much you're going to be liable for if something goes wrong. It gives clear terms about when you're going to get paid, what happens if you don't get paid, um, what interest and costs you can claim. You know, if you're supplying goods, for instance, you know, it gives you the right to reclaim those goods, and that's particularly important, as I said, for, for manufacturers who might be supplying goods, potentially quite large quantities of goods, to a customer. And it's normally on credit terms. It can be 60, 90-day payment terms. Um, and if that customer goes into liquidation in the meantime, you want within your terms of business what we call a retention of title clause. So you have a, an entitlement to claim that goods back um, rather than the liquidator having a claim over them. So there's all sorts of nuances around that. Um, when dealing with consumers, there are some fairly complex consumer regulations that actually require you to give certain notices, to give certain cancellation rights, for instance. And in certain circumstances, if you don't comply with that, it can actually make your entire contract void those types of arguments are possibly rare um but you what you don't want to have is a situation where you you act in good faith and and someone comes up with a technical argument to say well actually you didn't comply with you know uh, the cancellation regulations or consumer protection act or, or, or what have you and then you're left in a, in a difficult situation and 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 comparatively speaking you know to put terms and business in place is, is not an expensive process and can cause and can save you know huge amounts of cost and and uh, issues further down the line well richard uh thank you i should i ever go into business with family members i'm going to make sure that i have a lot of paperwork in place <laughs> no that's that's been very enlightening and i think a great overview uh, and if you want to find out any more, please do contact Richard directly. Uh, we'll give you all the details at the end of the podcast. Richard, thank you very much for telling us all about death, debt and disputes. A very happy subject. Yeah, maybe we'll try and make it a little bit brighter and happier next time. But these are the things that you need to know. And that's what we're hoping to do with Legally Speaking. If you want to subscribe, clearly you can do that. Uh, you can also find this podcast available at eisenharrison.co.uk. But in the meantime, if you'd like to email us any questions that arise from what you're hearing or uh, areas that you'd like Richard to address in future podcasts, you can email us at legallyspeaking at eisenharrison.co.uk. Thank you.